have been on a journey through Exodus, this Old Testament book of the Bible, and I'm going to get my Bible while I'm talking about it, and we're at the end. Uh, We're going to have one last RUF next week back in our normal room, and we're going to wrap it up a little bit more, but this is the last passage in Exodus. This is the end of the book of Exodus, so we've come a long way in our time this semester, and we started with God's people, the Israelites, in slavery, and we saw God bring his people miraculously out of Egypt and into the wilderness, uh, to the foot of the Mount Mount Sinai, where he gave the Ten Commandments. Uh, We saw God's people mess up time and time again and kind of turn on God along the way, and we saw his, we've seen his persistent love for them, and um, where it's all headed is that um, God has given instructions. So we've skipped a lot. And the reason we've skipped a lot is because there's very detailed instructions about this tabernacle, this dwelling place for God. That God is, it's a tent, a big ornate tent that God's going to live in among his people while they travel toward the promised land. And uh, so in our passage for today, uh, after all this preparation and this detailed work, Moses is finally setting up this tabernacle, this dwelling place among the people of God. So uh, let me read it for us. We'll spend some time examining it. My Bible here. He took, this is Moses, he took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the, un, set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and he arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered it. Uh, offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Uh, let's pray again. 
Father, we often don't know how to make sense of your word or what is meant by it. So we pray that you'd give us clarity as we look at it now. I pray for these students as they're tired and ready to be done, uh, that you would sustain them. And I pray for all of us that you would uh, speak your truth into our hearts tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder how you would answer the question, what are you made for? Uh, I wonder how, I wonder what you think other people might, how they might answer that question, what were you made for? Uh, Every now and then I bring this up in RUF, uh, C.S. Lewis famously talked about our desires and the things we long for. He, He made this point, which is that no one longs for something that doesn't actually exist. So if you are hungry, it's because food exists. And if you have sexual desire, it's because, like, sex exists. And if you, you know, whatever, whatever the longing, like, a longing for something would not exist unless somewhere out there the satisfaction of that desire existed, or else why would you long for it? And so the point that Lewis makes is, like, if we have this deep longing that never seems to get satisfied, Uh, it must mean that we were made for another reality, another world. Now, what the tabernacle and the whole Bible shows us, and the point the Bible's making, is that what you were made for, what we were made for, is God with us. And the Bible is clear on that from page one to the last page. You know, in the first The beginning of the Bible, God puts Adam and Eve in a garden. And what does it say about their relationship? It says they walked with God in the garden. Uh, It's a picture of extreme, extreme closeness. And if you know that story, then you know that God, Adam and Eve rebel against God. And the result of that is that they're removed from the garden. And it actually says in that passage that a a cherubim, which is an angel, it means a burning one. So this like flaming angel, uh, burning angel is set uh, before the entrance of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword to prevent Adam and Eve from getting back into the garden because of their rebellion against God. And so that's the first page, first few pages of the Bible. What's the last page of the Bible say? It says that in the book of Revelation, at the end, it says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man, and he himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's a picture of extreme closeness with God once again, at the start and at the finish. And so the question is, what happens in between? That's what the whole Bible is about, is how do we recover God with us? How does God recover it? How do we get back to this ending point that we need to get to? And you know what happens in between? And where it all starts is kind of this story, the Exodus story that we've been looking at all semester. God's choosing a people and he's using them to bring about redemption in our world. And Exodus culminates in this tabernacle where God's people are brought, uh, where God's people will worship him closely. We'll where he will dwell among them. Uh, So in the tabernacle, it's a picture of how God with us can happen. 
it's a picture of how it's all going to work. It's an illustration of how it will work. And so we're just going to look at a couple things about the tabernacle. We're going to look at what it does, what it points to, and where it is today, like how it applies today. So first of all, what it does. Um, Danny, can you go to the next slide? Okay. I actually provided us with an illustration of what the tabernacle would have looked like. And so this is like the outer court. Uh, the size of it would be about the size of like half of a football field. Uh, the, you know, this whole length here. And uh, within it is the tabernacle. And uh, as you can see, there's kind of like this pathway. And in the passage we read, we saw Moses setting up the tabernacle from here and expanding out as he went. And so what we have in the tabernacle is the holy place, in the most holy place. And so this is where, this is where, you know, when it talks about the cloud, like it's settling right here. This is the spot. And uh, in God's instructions, only one person is allowed to go in this spot once a year, the high priest on the day of Yom Kippur, uh, the day of atonement. And so uh, what, what this picture kind of shows is that the tabernacle creates like a pathway through the barriers to God. So, you know, if you were to go in, there's a few barriers along the way. There's an altar to make a sacrifice, and there's a place to wash, and there's this curtain and another curtain. And there's all these, it kind of shows us in pictorially the barriers that exist between us and God. It's like an illustration of who we are and who God is. Uh, it tells us that we were made for God with us, but it also tells us that because of who we are, like God with us is difficult. It doesn't happen naturally because we tend to resist God. Uh, and so there's these barriers. And you know, you might feel a barrier between you and God, like if you've ever tried to pray regularly or read your Bible regularly. Uh, if you're like me and you've tried that, you feel a barrier, right? Like you don't, it's pretty hard to keep up. Uh, it's pretty hard to continue doing these things that we know are good and that God wants. Um, and so we feel the barrier in that way. Another way you feel the barrier maybe is, you know, the closer you get to God, the more you explore God, what you might find is that God, you know, maybe God, his idea for what your life should be is pretty radical and maybe he's asking like maybe what God wants from you is like more than you could have imagined when you first started thinking about God and maybe the idea of God himself directing your life and taking you on a more radical path through life kind of forms a barrier in your mind like I don't know how close I want to get because the closer I get maybe he's going to tell me to do something crazy with my life um Another thing, you can't see it on the picture, obviously, but another thing that is important to know about the tabernacle, and there's these decorations prior to this passage. You can go back to the passage, Danny. Um, thanks. Uh, prior to this passage, it talks about how to decorate, like those curtains that you saw and stuff, and talks about the Ark of the Covenant where God would actually like descend upon. And in the decorations... There's cherubim, these flaming angels, these burning angels everywhere. And so what it is, it's a picture of Eden. 
the Garden of Eden. Like it's meant to be this, I, like we're meant to get the idea that this is a place where the Garden of Eden is recovered. This is the place of God with us. In other words, the tabernacle tells us there is a way back. And let me just say, like that might sound like a fairy tale to you, and I would understand that if it does, but I would just ask you, um, do you want it to be true? And why do you want it to be true? Um, you know, if, the, if, if you have looked for satisfaction in, you, in this world and you haven't found it, um, you should consider whether or not it could be true that God could dwell among his people in this way. And so that's what the tabernacle does. It shows the reality of who we are and who God is and where we stand and all these barriers between us and him. But I want to look now what it points to, or more accurately, who it points to. And if you've been at RUF at all this semester, you would know that it all points to Jesus all the time, right? In the book of Exodus, it all points to Jesus. And it points to Jesus in a few ways in this passage. And the first is just the idea of God being like, okay, I'll live in a tent. Why does God choose to live in a tent? Like his dwelling place becomes a tent. And the reason why is because his people live in tents. And so God says, you know, if my people are living in tents right now, so will I. Like I will go among them, which is different than every other religion. No other religion is like this. No other religion has a God who goes down to his people, who goes among his people. And, uh, you know, he doesn't say, like, here I am, way up here, come up to me. Instead, he says, I'm coming down there in every way. Like, I'm moving in to your neighborhood. And when Jesus eventually comes, you know, that's God, God saying, like, my people live in this world with tons of sadness and brokenness, and so I'm going to enter into it and live there. That's what Jesus is about. And just, you know, by point of application, like, this is the reason why we should, why Christians are called to go to people. This is the reason why uh, God calls people to, like, go into people's lives and not just, like, sit back and be like, you know, if they need something, they'll come to me. No, that's not the way it works. God's people are called to go into people's lives, to be uprooted and to go. And so that's the calling on our lives. Uh, another way it points to Christ is, you know, in the idea of barriers. It points to Christ in that there's a need for us, for someone to break down the barriers between us and God. And when Jesus came, Jesus said crazy, like, the, do you, guys, you guys know the reason Jesus was crucified ultimately in the Bible? Like, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was that Jesus talked about, you know, the temple, and he said, like, the temple is me, guys. Like, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three, like, that was, when the Jews heard that, they were like, that's it. We're putting this guy to death, because he was identifying himself with the temple, which is like the finished form of the tabernacle. Um, and Jesus said, that's, me, I, that's what I'm all about. And what, the reason he said that is because he knew that to get back into Eden, someone would have to go through a sword. And he knew that that was going to be him. And the way we have that confirmed in the Bible, and, you know, this is the craziest thing 
in the history of the world, I think, is that in the moment that Jesus is put to death on the cross, in the temple, that curtain between the holy place and the most holy place rips from top to bottom. That's what the gospel accounts tell us. It says that as Jesus is put to death, that curtain that separates people from God, that separate, you know, no one can go in, no one can have that kind of access to God in that way, it gets ripped. The point is that we can't get in, but Jesus can bring us in. You can, you know, if God is a, a pillar of cloud and fire, you can't approach. You know, we're talking like if you see it, you die. But Jesus can bring us in. God can be with us through Jesus. Um, and what that means for us, I mean, think about what it means to be a Christian if that's true. Like, what it can mean is that Christians are just, like, these nice people that are, like, morally good and put forth a lot of moral effort. Like, what it means is that if you're a Christian, that means you're someone who's radically transformed and that this, like, pillar of fire and smoke that we see talked about in this passage, like, is erupting in our hearts if you're a Christian. You know, the power that shook the mountains in the book of Exodus has now come into us who believe. That's what this is saying. That's where, that's what it's pointing to. Uh, but I want to close by talking a little bit about where this is today. Like, okay, this is great. A few thousand years ago, this went on. But like, what does it mean for me today? Like, how do I get in today? Like, how am I in the tabernacle today, so to speak? And uh, the first way is in a grace-based relationship with God. Um, Go back to that picture of the tabernacle. So on the way in, there's this sacrifice and this washing, and you've got to get through the curtain uh, to get to God. And what Jesus does, when Jesus comes, he reverses that. Um, when Jesus comes, you know, we're already in because of him. And so, you know, it's the difference between religion and Christianity, right? In religion, it's I, I do good, and therefore I'm accepted. And in Jesus, it's like, I'm accepted, therefore I can do good, and therefore I can go out. So it's, it can only take place, you know, this kind of powerful experience of God can only take place in a grace-based relationship. Uh, and it can only take place in an intimate relationship with him. Um, what this is designed to do is bring us into like face-to-face contact with God. It means that like we have that kind of access to the creator of the universe now. I heard if you were at around our fall conference a couple years ago, the speaker talked about prayer and he talked about, you know, if you go into someone's house and you know them decently well, you might be able to like go in and sit in their living room but it's only the people you know really, really well that like, you know what their bedroom looks like in their house. And what he said about Jesus is that Jesus, what Jesus does is he takes us from the living room to the bedroom of God. He gives us access. And so that's the, that's the kind of intimacy we have is that, you know, to continue the illustration, like we know what God's bedroom looks like. 
And the third way where we kind of are able to access this today is, and this is, I want to close in this, and it's really important, is in the community of believers. Uh, because the, if you continue the image, and Jesus talked about how he was the temple, but he was the temple so that God's church could become the temple. And so when what Jesus was saying with that is that God's people, like the best way to access God today is among his people. Like the place where God is most profoundly present is when his people gather together. And, you know, if you look at this tabernacle, like there's no detail that isn't covered in the design and the decoration of this dwelling place for God. Like there are, we skipped over, you know, we don't have enough time to look at all the details. You can go back and like every, every curtain, everything is like detailed. This is how it's supposed to look. So much detail is put into this. And what that's saying is that, you know, if that's how much detail God puts into his dwelling place in, in, in this tabernacle, then that's how much attention we should pay to relationships with each other if we are the place where God is most present now. Um, all of that attention should now go into our relationships with each other. Because in the Bible, you know, like we talked about, we were made for God with us. We were not actually made for God with me. In the Bible, it's always God with us. You know, and by, by virtue of that, like we, you know, we have a personal relationship with God, but the truth of the matter is that God has a relationship with his people. And so because of that, we need to pay attention to our relationships with other believers. Um, and the more we realize and live out that reality, like the closer we'll get, the more of an experience of God we'll actually have when we're in each other's lives, when we're living out community together. And, you know, how can you do it? How can you live out this kind of community? How can you approach God continually in the kind of relationship that we talked about? The only way you can do it is if you know that there was one who went under the sword for you. The only way you'll ever be able to approach God in any of the ways that we're talking about is if you know that there was a sword dividing you from God there was one who went under it so you could go through. Jesus Christ. The one who knows everything about you and yet is not ashamed of you. The one who can see into the depths of your soul and see everything you've thought and done and said and still says, yes, I'll do it for them. I'll do it for these people. Uh, the stiff-necked people that are talked about in Exodus over and over again. Uh, that's who we are, but thankfully, who God is is the one who says, I'll go in and bring them in with me. Uh, so let me close us in prayer, and we'll uh, worship again. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you communicate your truth to us in all kinds of ways, and even... Uh, allowing us to see visually who we are and who you are. Uh, we pray that we would have a fuller experience of God with us, even now. 
And we pray that it would be our uh, longing in life and our pursuit in life to experience God with us. And we look forward to that day uh, when you will wipe away every tear from every eye. We pray that you would make it come soon. It's in, his, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.